Almighty God, you give us the joy of celebrating our Lord's resurrection. Give us also the joys of life in your service and bring us at last to the full joy of life eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles, second chapter, beginning at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having raised him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is the word of the Lord.
gospel lesson from John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Holy Humor Sunday. That's what this day is oftentimes called in some Christian traditions. Holy Humor Sunday, the Sunday after Easter day. It's actually an old tradition. goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, this is my ninth year preaching Easter and then the season of Easter, and you've never heard me mention this before. You've never heard me talk about Holy Humor Sunday. It's not because of my reverence for what's holy. It's more about my respect for what's humorous. I want us to lean into this theme, though, today, especially in reflection of what happened with Jesus and the disciples on that very first Easter day. It's an amazing story. And my hope is that the framework of holy humor might help us to have a new sense of what happened a long time ago. The theme of humor was actually written about by the great theologian Jürgen Moltmann. It was back in the year 1971, he published a book entitled Theology of Play. And Moltmann was writing in a particular context because he had had many conversations with college students and with seminary students who were feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders. Now, if you lived during this time, 
try to think back to what was happening, late 1960s, early 1970s. And for the first time ever, many people could find out about the suffering and pain of others in other parts of the world. And so Moltmann students were learning about children who were dying of hunger in India, people who were being tortured in Brazil, the atrocities of war and suffering on another part of the world. And it was all so heavy. Something else that was happening that these seminary students were starting to notice For the first time, late 60s, early 70s, the mainline church was starting to experience a decline. So these students were having the weight of all of this. It was was awfully difficult. And Moltmann, the great theologian, was noticing this, and he was troubled by it. And he wanted his students to have a fresh experience about what it means to know freedom. Freedom! The freedom that God provides through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ricky read for us the amazing sermon that Peter preached, Acts chapter 2, where he says, among so many other things, the power of sin and death could not hold him back, Jesus. That through the resurrection, we see freedom that he experienced for the world. And it's this freedom that we ought to experience as those who follow him. And this freedom has a way of liberating us, releasing us. It's a relief from the burdens of this world. Freedom from sin, but also free to become who God has truly called us to be. When we can experience that deep inside of us, we can experience a little bit of lightness, a little bit more brightness. And we might even have reason to laugh. But let's face it, if you're like me, I grew up in a traditional church, and I was taught not to smile or laugh in the sanctuary during worship. I would sit either beside my mom or my grandma, and every once in a while, I would get the giggles. And a glance from one of them would simultaneously put a lid on it and amp it up a little bit more. You know, it's something that somebody said or something kind of awkward that happens over here, and I don't mean over here. I mean, just, you know, off to the side, something happens, and you just can't help but giggle. But, but it seems that there are so many times that we're convinced that being spiritual, being holy, is all about having this stone-cold, you-eat-your-oatmeal-and-like-it kind of a face. Now that I am an adult, and by the way, I just turned 45, I think that officially makes me middle-aged. What I've grown to realize, and perhaps you have too, during the worship service, we're invited to reflect upon some really deep stuff about the mysteries of God, about suffering and pain, big questions that don't have simple answers, 
We're invited to be thinking about all of this through the prayers and through the hymns and through the anthems, through the scriptures, even during the moments of silence. And when we're reflecting upon all this stuff deeply, like we're supposed to, we can't help but have a a pensive look on our face, a serious look. It seems to me, though, that so many of the folks that I grew up going to church with were like Estelle Costanza. Do you remember the way that George talks about his mother in Seinfeld? In the puffy shirt episode, he says, my mother never laughed. Not a giggle, not a chuckle, not a tee-hee. Never said ha. Well, I'm here today to tell you it's good to laugh. And it's good to laugh in the experience of faith. Here's why. Because when we experience the freedom that the resurrected Christ gives to us, we can have a release. We experience relief. And there's a surprise that's embedded in all of that. And surprise, that's at the heart of what's really funny. When we're talking about laughter, we're not talking about some sort of phony entertainment. We're not talking about laughing at the expense of another person. But if you look hard, and people have studied this, if you look hard at what's really funny, whether it's a sitcom, a movie, a limerick, it's the element of surprise. You think it's going here, but you end up over here. And the surprise is what causes you to laugh. Madeline Lingle wrote that laughter can heal a lot of pain. Perhaps you've experienced that. It's been said that laughter is the best medicine. Scientists have studied the physiological response to laughter. There are chemicals that are released in the brain, hormones that rush through the body. Muscles will relax. Circulation is improved. It can actually physically help you to laugh. And what's more, when you can laugh at adversity, and I'm especially thinking about a medical diagnosis, when you can laugh, You are saying in a word of protest that this illness is not going to rob you of the humanity that God has given to you. Laughter can provide healing for our bodies. Laughter can provide healing for our relationships, whether we're talking about a one-on-one dyad or a group relationship, like in a family. Laughter has a way of softening what would otherwise be an impenetrable barrier creates opportunity to connect. There's something about the surprise in it that creates the capacity for being a little bit lighter, being a little bit brighter. It's what the comedian Dave Chappelle calls the alchemy of levity. Now, please know, I love to laugh, 
I love to make people laugh. But I'm not about to trade in preaching for a stand-up routine. Because I have too much respect and appreciation for the ministry of the church. And I don't want anything to compromise the trust that kind people like you put to me. Brian Regan, one of my favorite comedians, he talks about when people are funny with their friends and how that's different than a stand-up comedian being funny. You see, a stand-up comedian has to set up a joke in just the right way, with just the right words, just the right language, with a premise, and then deliver the punchline. And a capable comic can do that over and over and over again, whether they're the little one-liner jokes or whether they're stories. Set up and punchline, set up and punchline. It's like setting up all 10 pins and bowling a strike. Setting up all 10 pins all over again, bowling another strike. That's hard. It's really hard to do. But meanwhile, think about being funny with your friends. The setup is the relationship. The relationship that has been born over the course of many, many years. Experiences, life shared together. The connections that you make. And so in a group of friends, one person may have the reputation of always being late. And suppose here you are with your group of friends, you decide to meet at your buddy's house to watch the big game, you know the day, the time, everybody brings something to eat together, and you're excited to be there, the game starts, and you notice that your buddy who's always late isn't there, once again. And everybody knows it. Second quarter starts, here he comes through the door. And then as he comes through the door, someone makes a little zinger commenting about how late he is once again. And everybody just falls out laughing. It's not really that funny of a line, but it's the relationships that are shared that create the premise of the setup so that the friend just has to come along with a zinger and get the punchline. Why am I saying all of this? Because on that very first Easter long ago, the group of friends known as the disciples were all together. They had spent about three years with Jesus, traveling with him, listening, participating in his miracles, and yet they were absolutely afraid Even though they saw so much and experienced so much of the glory of God's kingdom, they were afraid because they saw what happened to Jesus just a couple days before, and they thought that they were going to be next. So there they were, locked together. Well, all of them, that is, except one. Thomas. We don't know exactly what he was doing, but he was out and about perhaps not being afraid. But those who were gathered together, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to them. And he willingly showed them the scars in his hand and in his side from the resurrection. And it was an amazing experience. And do you remember what the gospel writer John said? They rejoiced. In other words, 
joy was released within them. We don't have specific stories about Jesus chuckling or the disciples rollicking in laughter. But we do have these examples about God's people rejoicing. In my mind, I think of smiles. I think of energy. I think of laughter. Why? Because the disciples were surprised. They were surprised. They didn't know this was going to happen. Perhaps when they were able to see the resurrected Christ right before their eyes, it was the connection, the callback from the stories of ancient Israel. It was coming together now, finally. And the surprise of it all released within them joy. They felt a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter. And when Thomas finally caught up with them later in the week, they said, you'll never believe what we saw, which is true. He didn't believe. If you read closely in the ancient Greek manuscript, the line that we translate, do not doubt but believe, what Jesus says to Thomas later in the week, it actually reads, do not be unbelieving but be believing. The word doubt doesn't appear. Thomas had trouble with believing. And even in his trouble, Jesus did not lord it over him. Instead, Jesus came to be with him. And later in the week, also willingly showed the scars of the crucifixion. And in that experience, Thomas was released to experience the fullness of resurrection faith. And he too rejoiced. And he gave what is perhaps the most amazing proclamation of faith found in the New Testament. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. The experience of resurrection life. It's a surprise because life is otherwise so hard. We get down about our hardships and our struggles and we we get duped into thinking that there's no possibility for things to get better. We think about illness, emotional troubles, relational strife. And we start to think there's no possibility for a way out. But then when we can experience the joy of Christ, it releases us so we can experience freedom. And it just might cause you to laugh. Because at Easter, God gets the last laugh on sin and death. When I was growing up at my home church, the same one I mentioned before, along with all of these very serious-faced church members who were very loving and kind-hearted, I had an amazing mentor in my youth director. His name, Larry Bergstrom, who was your pastor at First United Methodist Church in Coral Springs. And in Larry's office, he had this picture of Jesus laughing that in many ways represented Larry's life and his ministry, and one that I would hope to perhaps emulate as well someday. I was telling this to my best friend, Brian, and as a high school graduation gift, he got me this copy of the art, Jesus Laughing. 
And I cherished this gift as a high school graduation gift, and I took it with me to college. And when I set up my dorm room, I put on my walls my Albert Einstein poster, my Van Halen poster, and this. My roommate from Miami, his buddy, came by to visit us one day, and um, he looked at this on his way out the door, and he said, oh, cool, Bob Marley. <laughs> there are actually many different portraits and drawings and paintings of Jesus that demonstrate who he is through the lens of culture, and those are beautiful. What I love about this Imagining Jesus with his disciples. Imagining him with us in our everyday life. And the release that we experience when we fall comfortably in the joy of God's grace. Laughing. Not laughing at us. Not laughing at the expense of people who are suffering. No inside jokes either. This is about what is open, and it's the freedom that comes by experiencing Jesus in your life. And my prayer for you and for me this day is that we can be a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter, laugh a little bit more, because Jesus can help us observe life, help us to see what's ironic perhaps even what's silly. But through it all, help us to realize what's meaningful and what's important. Because God has the last laugh on what would otherwise hold us back. You and I are called to live as people who are free, free to live in the love of God. Amen. <laughs>